the, like the the country ones that like there's .co.uk and .uk and .co.jp and .jp and I think there's a couple other that are like that but then the US is just .us. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe we just have .com. I don't know, is that a US you know is that, uh, that origin, origin sure. let's like claim a, it man it's yeah, fuck it I mean, right you know, it's ours whatever. now <laughs> sup my dude Yo, yo, yo. Man, what a day. Dude, I know, man. It's just me and you again. No more guests. We've been doing guest palooza this past couple episodes. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like Dude, this it's might been be, nonstop. I'm, I'm, at the, I'm at the standing desk right now. This might be this might be a sitting episode, not going to lie, because it's yeah? just been so freaking crazy lately. Hold on. Let me Should go, we even go into the, my standing desk chaos? Oh, my God. Dude. <laughs> Tell the people about that while I go get my chair. Yeah, so basically, I have an uplift desk. I love my uplift desk. It's a huge, it was like the biggest sit-stand desk I could find. It's it's like 90 inches long or something. I don't, I don't know how many feet or meters that is. Uh, it, it's big. It's huge. And uh, it's been great for like a couple of years. And then yesterday, we were doing some recording. And uh, I was I was like noticing that my camera was like... <laughs> slanted <laughs> it was so off and i was like i don't know what's causing this and i had i like rotated my monitor so it looked straight and i was like that's definitely crooked and so i just like ignored it and figured it was like maybe my house is out of level or something and so then i just like sat down while my desk was up and i was like sitting in my chair and i just look over at my desk and i see it's like visibly like slight like very noticeably at a different height and it turns out the legs are at different heights so then i tried to fix it and i like lowered the whole thing down and then it started throwing this error code and i like looked up the error code and they were like you yeah, should try and, and reset then, your system and, and i like did the no, no, i did no, no, everything no. don't don't skip the the part where joel was angrily filling out like a warranty uh, agreement you know joel's like ah, oh, this stupid piece of garbage like i gotta I gotta like submit a warranty claim on this. Bloody, bloody, bloody. I'm like, Joel, did you try like holding the down arrow for okay, a little here's while? The thing, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I reset <laughs> it by holding like the the way you're supposed to do it is you hold the down arrow and then it like it's supposed to bring both legs all the way down if they're at different levels. Okay. And I did that, okay. but then it threw this error code, and so it was like if you see this error code and like it wouldn't do anything with the error. Like I couldn't oh, move it. I couldn't like well, I unplugged it. I plugged it, it back why in. did it start working whenever I okay, said? So- to- <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay. So I fill out, I like do the reset instructions. Nothing changes. I'm like, okay, this is like broken. I need to have them fix this, I guess. And uh, also my desk is now slanted and stuck in the down stuck position. Stuck on a slanted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was so bad. So I like, I fill out this form. I like take pictures and stuff. I send it all off. And then you're like, have you tried like just holding down? And like, usually that's how you're supposed to like recalibrate it. And, yeah. But I figured it wouldn't do anything because it was in the air mode. So I like try it. And sure enough, it goes into like ASR or whatever. And then I'm able to hold down and it, the other leg like went all the way down finally. And then I like recalibrated it and everything is working fine now. So I, I don't no. even know. I, I feel like an idiot because I... <laughs> you got to go cancel your warranty claim, bro. I know. I, and I feel like an idiot because I, I like sent them an email or whatever. I like filled out their form. And then like 20 minutes later, I said a follow-up. I was like, yeah, actually, never mind. I fixed it. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Anyways. Well, that that's uh, that's Very another episode of Joel's office problems. We've talked about chairs. We've talked about we've talked about cameras and mics and and now we've got a Don't slanted desk cameras. story. Don't get me started on cameras. You saw the white balance problems with my camera yesterday. I did too. You had to fight with those. That was a challenge. Um, all right, let's give the people what they're looking for here, Joel. Let's give them uh, some talk about security, about critical vulnerabilities, or in this wow. case, uh, our, our boy XNL Hacker dropping a pretty awesome Chrome extension, um, inspired by the pod and inspired by some some tweets from the podcast account. Um, after the episode with Rennie Pack, he was he was thinking. Uh, actually, he does a nice write up of his sort of thought thought process or inspiration in, in the GitHub repo. But he releases this um, Chrome extension called XNL Reveal, which um, shows alerts for any query parameters that are reflected. Um, shows any hidden elements and uh, enables any disabled elements. And and Joel, I don't know if you saw it because I was running the Twitter at the time. Did you see that whole tweet storm about like, um, you know, enabling hidden elements via a Chrome extension versus you know using Burp's enabled thing? I did. I didn't see any of this. And one interesting thing I will note as well on that feature specifically is that yeah. uh, in like the latest, I think it's the latest version or whatever point version point three. Um, he made a change where now it's like a context menu. So if you right click, there'll be a little button to show hidden elements. So it doesn't show oh, it by default nice. on everything, which I think is probably for the better, uh, just for usability. But no, I didn't yeah. see, uh, I didn't see that. Yeah. That so thread. essentially the whole, the whole concept of that, that tweet was like, um, you know, burp has this feature where it will modify the H, uh, HTML response to remove any like disabled equals true or like, you know, some of the hidden features, right? Um, to hide an HTML element. So you can access stuff like buttons that shouldn't be clickable, that sort of thing. But the majority of the apps nowadays are being generated by like a, like a JavaScript, um, you know, uh, single page thing, right? So um, when HTML elements are being generated on the client side, uh, it's bypassing that whole thing with burp. So you're missing a bunch of hidden elements. So I actually have in order, in order to solve this, I actually have a JavaScript bookmarklet that I use where I click this bookmarklet and then it automatically goes through and like removes anything with display none or like removes the disabled elements. But mm -hmm. XNL hacker combined that piece of advice or that, that sort of conversation that we had on Twitter with um, the stuff that, uh, Rennie Pax was talking about on the episode we did uh, live from from Portugal, and created this awesome extension that does it all. So really nice, really nice work there, man. Super I really, awesome. I really like that XML hacker. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That uh, it was really cool to see, and it looks like it really like popped off on Twitter. It's got like a ton of views and a ton of stars on on uh, on GitHub. So it's really cool to see the community like hearing us yeah. talk about these types of things, and then going and just spinning up a tool in a day or two. Like that's it's really awesome. Yeah, man. I, whenever anybody does that, I like, I'm so excited and happy because it's like, I feel like I contributed to that, but I didn't, you know, like I get to like, sort of be like, yeah, I, it's like that, that meme, you know, like that, I, I, I made, I made this. This, you know, <laughs> yeah. this thing. Yeah. Like, I love that. That's great. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. Cool. Uh, did you get a chance to read this next one? I didn't, but, uh, we have a couple things about like email, uh, and OAuth account takeovers and stuff. Yeah. So uh, why don't you yeah, why don't so, you break this, so this down? Because we have one following up. That's one. yeah, yeah. This one's this one's a cool one. Okay. Um. So this is a write up by uh, Salt Labs. Okay. And this is discussing a OAuth problem 
that affected uh, a lot of a lot of websites. It looks like uh, they were able to exploit three websites with this um, vulnerability. And whenever anything OAuth pops up, uh, I'm listening because it, it's it's widely used everywhere. And uh, it's so complicated. And I know that there's some stuff I don't understand about this, right? Because you know dang well, you probably know the people I'm talking about, but there are some people that are at the live hacking events that like OAuth is their thing. And they're yeah. just like so, you know, mysterious about it. And, <laughs> I, I, you know, I've gone up to them a couple of times. I've been like, yo, so tell me what, what the deal is. And they're like, can't tell you, man. And I'm just like, <laughs> what the heck? So I'm on this like never-ending search to understand OAuth as well as these people. Um, so this one definitely caught my attention, uh, but it, but it's a little bit um, it's a little bit different from like a normal OAuth configuration thing. It's actually specific to Facebook, and I and I imagine that there are other providers that might have similar vulnerabilities. But the concept here was that um, whenever using Facebook to log in. Uh, you know, a user, right? So this is uh, effect, a vulnerability affecting applications that allow sign-on from via Facebook, log in with Facebook. Um, there's a little caveat down, down the, you know, line in the instructions for how to build this out that says when you get a token back from the user, you need to make a uh, introspection call to make sure that this token is for your own, your own um, app rather than for a different app, right? It's Normally such a weird thing to call out. It is. It is. You know, like you'd think that they would do this, but in, in but in the beginning, I was thinking like, oh, auth, okay, so shouldn't they have to like swap the code for like an access token? But that's actually a different OAuth flow. That's the the um, well, actually, I, I shouldn't speak to it off the top of my head because I, I I believe that this one is called the explicit grant type. But but essentially the 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 big thing that changes here in the end is that the response type is different, right? They they give you a token at the end rather than a code, which the um, user needs to give to the server side and and then thus have swap for an access token. Instead, they just give the access token directly to the website, right? So mm -hmm. when you see this in, in these sort of situations, what they're supposed to do is take this access token and hit a debug endpoint to be like, okay, is this access token for, for my app? Or, or is it for a different app, right? And um, if it's for a different app and they, they don't do this check, then they can just continue you know, reaching out to slash me or whatever, grab the email down right, from slash me, and then just yeah. off that user in. Which is so um, weird because you, you'd think that from the, like, from the back end side, they would basically just check if you're authorized to be making calls with a token for another app. And well, but, but see, I guess the there's thing. no delineation. That, that's the auth token, though. That's what I thought, too, when I was thinking, because when you swap the code, right, normally you would be using your server secret, right, plus the code to get right. the token, right? But in this scenario, you're actually just giving the server side the token, and that's the token that they use to contact Facebook. This is a really sus-like setup, it, honestly. It, it, is, it is a little sus, but um, I, think it's a really, I think it's a really cool bug, you know, that they understood OAuth well enough to, to piece all this together. So... You know the the only so this allows you to do um, account takeover with the with the one caveat that the you have to have that user um, be the, you know the user whose account you want to take over it ha they have to be a customer of your Facebook app so that you can generate a token for that user right? okay um, and so that, that's kind of limiting that's a, it, it is limiting for sure but 
let's say you know there there are so many stupid facebook apps man right like you know the you know facebook you know adjacent things right and how yeah. easy would it be to go pop those and then That's use true. those to sign into something like grammarly which is mm-hmm. um you know one of the the people that was uh, vulnerable to this attack so uh really really cool bug here with a technique that i hadn't seen before um and definitely going to be keeping an eye out for this in the future yeah, I mean, I know Grammarly has a 100k bounty for what is it? It has to be zero click though, right? Yeah, it has to be zero <sighs> click, man. They were so close. I have heard a lot of a lot of cases where uh, people have been like one click or like basically like you click on a link or like you load a link or something and like kind of zero click, um, but yeah. uh, nothing's ever qualified as far as I know. Yeah, man, this one was super close, you know, like this is, this is for me, for me, this is like, I think this would land on the user interaction, not required side of, you know, if I had to pick between not required or required, I would actually put this in not required personally. You, you, you can make an argument for attack complexity high for sure, but I wouldn't put this as user interaction required. Yeah, I would agree. Cause I, you know, the attack complexity is really that they have to like, for one, you have to like basically pop like a, an app that they already have authorized, which may or may not yeah. be difficult depending on what they sign in with. But there is definitely some extra interaction they're required to like whether whether it's directly. I think user interaction I would usually count as like as part of the bug. It has to be that like yeah. the user has to interact. They don't have to interact for this to be exploited, but they have to have done mm. something else for it to be exploitable. Dude, speaking of that, should we uh, should we? talk about this like crazy drama that's going on right now uh with the hacktivity hacker one hacktivity thing where that guy got like robbed based off of a cvs assess did you see that i i i saw a bunch of uh of like chatter about it and being like this is not how this should have been handled and and all that kind of stuff but i didn't actually read the report yeah i just dm'd it to you on 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 uh, discord let's uh let's Let's take a pause. Bebix. From our I know, I know Bebix, which is yeah. funny because Bebix actually replied to the, this last tweet, but <laughs> that we were just talking about. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is, this is a, a pretty interesting situation. And at the end of the day, like you can't, is this, this is the one with, Be, with Bebix, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I see it right here. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, people make mistakes and stuff, right? And I, I fully expect that HackerOne will will fix this mistake, personally. It hasn't happened yet, but I, I fully expect they will. This user reported uh, they were doing something cool, right? Which, I, which I've talked about in the pod before, which is monitoring the JS files of an application for changes, right? And they noticed that a new Google Doc link appeared, right? And when they went to that Google Doc link, they found that the attacker has the ability to edit anything and see some confidential data about other users, you know, emails and survey responses and stuff like this, mm-hmm. right? So it's a pretty decent leak. Um, and then check out check out this comment halfway down by, uh, yeah, yeah, Chris. They recategorized so, it, saying that the attack complexity was high because the attacker is monitoring the code base and the associated Google form had to be published to the code Oof. base by internal staff. Yeah wrong yeah. but that okay. is that user yeah. interaction required a staff member owns the form misconfigured permissions which led to being able to access the confidential data when in possession of the link okay how does that yeah the so <laughs> here's 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 what i'm gonna say i understand where he's coming from 
I'm sorry, you're wrong. Yeah. The user and the attack complexity does not matter when you're the one who created the vulnerability. The attack complexity yeah. is not that you created a vulnerability. It's how hard is it to exploit? Exactly. So these sort of things, they happen. They happen to, you know, triagers working at HackerOne. They happen on the program levels. If this doesn't get fixed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to holler more, you know? But um, if they wanted to, if they didn't want to pay out higher than this, they could say that it was, um, you know, confidentiality low, right? Rather than high. I, I would say that it w is high personally, but I would say, you know, you could say confidentiality low and that would drop the, the impact. But uh, attack complexity high, user interaction required, not a chance. Yeah, time. no, I, I totally agree. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. I'll be interested to see if they decide to reevaluate that. Hopefully, they do. I think it deserves a reevaluation. I yeah. think it's kind of, I mean, if nothing else, uh, I don't think it aligns with like how they've handled things in the past and how they view yeah. severity as a whole. So, um. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It looks like yeah. it was disclosed four days ago, so the yeah. the storm is still building. And it was, you know, it was over the weekend a little bit too. So, and I, I've I've reached out to Hacker One. You know, whenever this sort of thing happens, I'll I'll reach out and be like, hey, you know, just FYI, you're getting roasted on Twitter here. You know, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, but um, you know, hopefully we'll see a change here. And to the person that made a mistake on this one happens we just got to make it right you know yeah there's there's no there's no ill will here you know at least from from the critical thinking side we understand that these sort of mistakes happen but when they do happen hopefully they get resolved um, yeah. this 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 report actually um i guess was submitted on september 25th so it's been over a month in this state if i was uh you know i don't know how to pronounce this person's name bebikis bebikis See, man, I don't know why. When it's not a word, I just have such a hard time pronouncing it. Yeah, um, when you know, if I were Bevix, I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty salty at this point. But uh, it seems like they've been taking it in stride, um, and even asking to disclose the report. So yeah, uh, we'll see if the community gets their voice heard on this one. Yeah, absolutely. And and based on some discussions in the hacker success um, manager the server on Discord, yeah, it looks like yeah. this was brought up by some other hackers. Um, who said, hey, you know, this isn't really my business, but I don't think this is right. Yeah. And yep. um, somebody from H1 followed up and said, hey, just so you know, we're aware and we're talking about this internally. So it, it's awesome to see um, some some swift action on it. I hope it wasn't that it had to like be disclosed to get to that point. It doesn't, based on the report, yeah. like context within the report, it doesn't seem like there was any like pushback or mediation or anything like that. It just seems like, you know, Bevix was like, thanks for the bounty. I would like this disclosed so I can have it at my flex sheet or whatever, my brag yeah, sheet. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and then plug. other people saw it and were like, hey, hang on a second. That's all right. So. <laughs> you should be flexing hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. muscles should be bigger. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. So um, cool. Yeah. Did, have we talked, so you mentioned the HSM, you know, uh, you know, chat on here. Have we talked about that concept before on the pod? I don't, I don't know if we have. I don't think it's anything like secret for what it's worth. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's there's a blog. I just pulled it up right now on it. So uh, the Hacker Success Manager program, or I guess the Hacker Success program is something that, that HackerOne um, sort of launched, was it 2022, I think, probably? Yeah, a couple um, years ago. Yeah, maybe maybe 2021. Uh, but essentially, um, I'm not sure what the what the requirements are for, you know, to be to enter the program. 
but uh, it, it, there's a, a couple hundred, maybe three, four hundred hackers that uh, have hacker success managers, and essentially, it's a person that works at Hacker One. Uh, my, I'm Team Steve. Freaking love Same. Steve. Um, it, it, you know, and they they're a point of contact for the top hackers at Hacker One to have a conversation with them and and um, just kind of have the voice heard. Have a have a you know, point of contact for any, any issues that could pop up, help setting, you know, goals for what kind of bounties you want to get or what, what kind of stats you want to do in a given year. Um, and, and I've had a really good experience with that program. It's, it's increased my ability to, uh, deal with issues faster on the platform. It's, it's increased my ability to stay goal oriented and focused on the platform. So big fan of that program. I'm not sure if, if bug crowd and integrity are running similar programs, but I would, I would hope that they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have uh, the same HSM, Steve. Yeah. He's awesome. And um, yeah, nothing but good things to say about it. Honestly, it's uh, it's I wish it were more easily more easily scalable is the only thing yeah. like I, I, I don't even see like a potential solution there. You could scale it yeah. better and keep the effectiveness of it. It's really just one of those things where, um, you know, they really value the top hackers and it yeah. shows, especially through the HSM program. I think it's amazing that like if i have a problem with something i can always just like reach out to a person and yeah. they you know not just like sending a ticket into the void or having to do mediation or something i have an actual human that i can talk to about it and um get candid you know feedback or you know if i am wrong on this or whatever you know steve has yeah. no problem telling me that so yeah steve definitely does not have any problem telling you that i yeah. i definitely have you know in, in I don't know. The thing about, about Steve too, is he's such a great guy, you know, like, and so I'll call him and I'll be like, man, I'm just like really <laughs> frustrated about this specific vulnerability. And, you know, all of this stuff is like semi-confidential stuff, right? So, you, you know, you can't be, you know, talking about all of the details, but it's good to be able to talk to Steve and be like, ah, I'm really frustrated with this. He's like, Justin, take a breath, man. Like, <laughs> we're we're going to get it fixed out. You know, we're going to, we're going to work on it. It's going to get resolved. You know, and, and just kind of, you know, and, and so I don't have to send these sort of angry messages to the teams, you know, what, because it's an, it's an emotional process sometimes when you put yeah. in so much hard work to, to find a vulnerability, you found something you're really proud of. And then, you know, sometimes programs don't see its worth. So it's definitely yeah. uh, improved my quality of experience with HackerOne since I've been on the, the, uh, the HSM uh, in that program. Yeah, absolutely. It, it reminds me of the type of communications that you get to have at live hacking events, where if you have a problem, you can like talk to a triage or a hacker one employee or something, and just um, you know that 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 level of transparency and uh, willingness to communicate and stuff is just really really nice to see. So it is indeed. Anyways, yeah. uh, <laughs> we got we got very, the very sidetracked there. Uh, I wanted to bring up because um, this was in the sheet, and we were just talking about mm -hmm. Facebook. Um, yeah. Login stuff. There was this thread. Uh, Jayesh Mednani, I think, is so the much name. better Jayesh twenty five than me. Yeah, that's it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jayesh twenty five underscore on uh, on Twitter or X or whatever. Um, yeah, uh, he's been doing a bunch of different uh, Twitter threads recently, which yeah. is uh, nice to see. Lots of you know good tips and stuff in there. And one that particularly popped off was this one talking about um, an ATO through Facebook login. So essentially, he found this weird mechanism where if you log in with Facebook and you, when you're logging in through Facebook, one of the things that you can choose is that you can choose not to share your email from your Facebook profile. Mm. So if you log in with Facebook, you can log in without Facebook telling the service what your email address is. When you do that, the service would then ask, 
what is your email? Uh, you know, your new account or whatever, give us your email. So you put in a victim email and it would send an email confirmation link to the victim email. Then if you log in a second time with the same Facebook account and you do share your email, what ends up happening is that it ties your the account on the service to your Facebook account. But this time, if you share your own email that's linked to your Facebook account, it just sends the same email activation link to the new email. And so ah. instead of like you filling in your email or whatever, uh, you basically just say, you know, this is this is my email from Facebook this time. It sends the same link to the new email and then you can, you know, log in as the victim. Well, oh, I so think then, you're actually, he you repeated the steps again. To the yeah, victim, yeah. Right? yeah, so you reseed it back ah. to the victim email. You use the old link that you got to then verify the account and now you have access to a victim account. And uh, he said he got 16K for, uh, wow. for that account takeover, which is really, really hilarious. I thought it was Dude. even funnier because Tanner, uh, Cash Money, he uh, he retweeted Cash this money. tweet, and uh, Sorry, he, he, you know, understandable. He, he he retweeted this tweet and was like, uh, "It was like, oh, it finally happened." And attached to the tweet was this uh, this bug bounty tip from Integrity Dude, what the heck? from 2019. Okay, so this is four years ago, more than four oh years ago, gosh. August 2019, and it uh, it's a picture that says signing up with Facebook, remove the email scope from the OAuth prompt and see what happens at its cash money. <laughs> so it's uh, it's really hilarious that, uh, you know, that four-year-old uh, tweet or tip or whatever was uh, basically the same exact thing that was happening here. And sure enough, it uh, led to a nice big bounty. That's that's sick, man. You know, we, we've got some some content coming out soon on like authentication related stuff. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later today. But Tanner is like the king of that stuff, man. Every time every time I talk to Tanner about, you know, auth flows or weird shit, you know, like race conditions and, you know, yeah. he always has some some crazy bug. And this is such an in great example of thinking outside of the box in those scenarios. Like the whole point of contacting Facebook in the first place is to share the email. Well, what happens if I just don't share the email? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I love that that functionality exists. That just throws even... a wrench into everything. It's so awesome. Yeah, no, it's great. And he definitely called this shot and, and good on uh, Jay Ash for, you know, either remembering what Tanner said or thinking of it himself in trying this complex flow. Right. Cause I feel like when, it, if I had done this and then it said provide an email and I was like, okay. And it sent a link. I'd be like, uh, you know, this is probably just like the normal email validation flow. Yeah. But then he, 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 you know, continues to press deeper and he says, right. all right, well, what if I, you know, don't complete this whole flow, go back, try it again. Is that the same email, you know, and right. boom, it is, you yeah. know, it's the same code in the email. So what a, what a, what a baller. And you know, it's a 16 K bounty too. So that, that is like, you know, you know, he found that on a high end program. Yeah. And he said it was an old. It was an old report. Um, where did he say? I think he he said because Tanner replied to it and was like, "Hey, congrats!" And he said, "Thanks. It's an old finding. Just sharing some tips and tricks with the community." So, 16k on an old finding. Uh, either they were already a high paying program, or that was a crazy bounty for whoever it was. So that's a yeah. that's a super super cool write up and a super simple concept. So I'm gonna put that in my little shovel, sh shove that into my little notebook of of tips to try out when I'm testing. Uh, <laughs> you're just going to shove it into the notebook of tips? Is that yeah, what you're going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Solid. I'm like a, right. like a restaurant worker. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see that now. I'm starting to see the imagery. Um, 
whew, man, for those of you that are watching on YouTube rather than listening, I've got a little bit of a cough right now and I just like hacked up a lung while I was on mute during that, that last, uh, last, uh, rant Joel was on there. So sorry about that for any of you on YouTube, but, um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let, let, with that, let's move to the last, uh, the last news item that we wanted to talk about, um, which is uh, a, a write-up from uh, Canva, actually, uh, from the security team at Canva, talking about when URL parsers disagree. Okay. So we're going to talk about this a little bit more later today, too. But I read this write-up, and I was like, man, this is such a cool thing, right? Um, I love it when this... So let me, let me get a little bit more, you know, conceptual here. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time on this podcast is trying to seed attack vectors, right? Trying to seed ideas in your brain of what kind of vulnerabilities are possible and what kind of things you can try when you're attacking these applications. Right. And, yep. and, you know, once these ideas, excuse me, once these ideas get into your head, um, when you're looking at applications, you have the opportunity or not to go and, and try them. And the people that do try them and they go through the effort to, you know, learn whatever additional details they need. Um, those are the people that are going to go far and that are going to find a lot of crazy bugs. Okay. So it, it's just, it's a little bit of, of a rant. I, people have been asking me lately, how do we find, you know, high impact bugs? You got to try high impact attack vectors. Okay. Yep. yep. So, um, Rant over. Let, let's talk about the actual technical details of this one. Um, we've spent a lot of time on the news section, so uh, I'm not going to go too deep into this one. But the TLDR of this write-up is that um, there is a, a, a disagreement, as the title you know, says, between two URL parsers in use in the specific application. Okay, And the disagreement occurs when parsing a file URL, and the disagreement happens over the role of the question mark character, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah, as we know from, from URLs, the question mark normally delineates the start of the, the query, right? Right. Um, and is no longer a part of the path. Well, one of, the, um, one of the parsers in question did not respect that, right? It said, hey, the query parameter or the question mark is just another character in the path because it's mm. a file scheme rather than a an actual um, uh, rather than like an HTTP scheme or something like this, right? Okay. So because it's a file scheme, which um, I would technically say is more accurate. Yeah, um, like I'm not sure I, if it should be the same. Like I think it, context is kind of appropriate here, where like yeah. if it is a file scheme, then like technically the only thing there should be a path. So like the query parameters and stuff shouldn't, it should never like be part of that. Like if you're just generically yeah. parsing a scheme, then like, okay, I can see why you might, uh, I'd almost say mistakenly parse yeah. it that way. But context is kind of important. It is, it is. And, and you're actually, I didn't have that in my notes, but you're, you're right, dude. Actually, you know, I, I can go in here in my, you know, Linux file system, create a file with a question mark in it, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if you can do that on Windows or not. But um, so in that scenario, the question mark should be, uh, you know, respected as a as a actual valid character, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so, but one of the parsers in this, in this situation was mistakenly using the question mark in actually truncating the path, right? So when a malicious, uh, or when the, 
the checks were occurring uh, of a certain URL to say, hey, is this uh, you know trying to path traverse out? It would you know they just had one dot and then the question mark and it says nope, this is just referring to the current current directory. We're truncating everything after the question mark. All all good here. And then uh, after that after that question mark, they had a series of path traversals that would go back up and hit you know Etsy password or whatever and include it in the SVG file. Um, and that's because the second parser was looking at that question mark not as a as a truncating character as something that will end the path, but actually as a part of the path, and then allowing that part of the path to be deleted by a path traversal sequence to go back out and grab that 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 file from you know another directory. So um, do, yeah, it's it's such a great uh, it's such a great attack vector here. Whenever you're dealing with file URLs, this can definitely be something to check and something that's going to be on my list for sure. Or what, what did you say before? I'm going to take this take this <laughs> tip and stick it, in, it in my, my tip book. My, my tip tips folder, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this this is reminding me, I don't know why, but this reminded me of a story and <laughs> Uh, honestly, I was trying to find a source for this. I don't know if this is true, but I, I and I can't remember where I heard it either. But allegedly, it goes that the creator. Do you know what glob is? Glob like in, in Linux, uh, like the the concept that you can do like star and like star star slash oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. kind of yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. and it basically does yeah. like matching of of yep. files. So that that whole system is called glob. Oh, interesting. And the guy who I didn't created know the it. Term for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like glob or globbing, basically. Like yeah. And, and so the guy who created that. Initially, when he created it, he called it like asterisk, like star dot c. And after he finished writing it, he uh, he he was he was like you know he was trying to oh, no. test it, <laughs> and, and he was like you know rm star dot c, and it deleted the actual star dot c file instead of like all the oh, files no, that ended dude. dot c. Like, and, so, and so it deleted the source code and he had to rewrite yeah. the entire thing from well, memory. <laughs> oh gosh, dude, that's terrible. What a, what a terrible idea to name it Stardots. He deserved that, that, you know, for sure. But I, I know there are some, um, you know, there are some weird files, right? Where like, uh, I think this is like a try to hack me or like some, you know, this is I'm really reaching far back in the yeah, yeah. to my CTF days when I was in in college. But there was some you know trivial little pro thing was like okay this this file has a bunch of like weird characters in it and like if you try to delete it just using like tab completion it's like deletes everything you know oh, wow. or like does a bunch of crazy stuff and you can't r remove this file. So there's definitely some weird stuff with Linux like that where you've got to like add two dashes. Uh, you know it's like rm dash r or rm dash dash and then the file name will like prevent it from having other flags in the name or something like that yeah yeah super Pretty crazy stuff yeah anyways an another little tangent there but Dude, uh we're, we're t you know it I hasn't know, I'm been sorry. just me in a while <laughs> so you know we're just we're shaking off the dust we're going down our little tangents true um, all right you want to jump yeah. into the main the main content uh of of url structures here I do, I do. Uh, throat is giving me a little, little problems here, but we'll we'll push through it. Um, okay, so today's topic, a little bit, uh, you know, past the news section, um, is on URL structuring and then a bunch of other cool shit. <laughs> uh, this one's a, not not gonna lie. This one's a little bit um, scattered, so uh, we'll see where we land. Okay. Um, but this uh, episode was sort of. Um, inspired by uh, a conversation that I had at a live hacking event where one of the people at the live hacking event had found an open redirect and was challenging another person, uh, you know, 
in this open redirect resulted in account takeover and, and was challenging another person at the live hacking event to see if they could exploit it as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, oh, I recall this happening. Yeah, I think you were I was there. watching this happen in real time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it made me realize that not everyone is familiar with all the different parts of the URL. Um, and so I, I kind of have this little graph here that we'll, we'll put up on the screen. Um, and uh, it's missing one piece, which is the path parameters, but this is a pretty good breakdown of all the different parts of a URL. All right, so Joel, look, look, at, this, look at this graph. Look I'm this trying graph. to, and I, I'm... Uh, are you, are you, <laughs> is this okay? So I, I thought that this was like a pretty, a thing that most people were super familiar with. Would you say that you are super familiar with every single one of these or no? I definitely I know what all of these are and what they're called. I'm okay. confused at how to read this graph, but yes, okay. I knew I knew about every single part of this. Okay, so for those of you listening, the average URL has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I would say nine parts. Okay, um, so the first part at the very left hand side is the scheme, right? Okay, this is going to be your HTTP, HTTPS sort of thing, right? Um, this could be file, this could be, uh, you know, all, FTP, could be all sorts of things. There's a great um, resource called the SSRF Bible that was floating around years ago that would talk about if you have an SSRF, here are some cool things you can do with alternative schemes like FTP and Gopher and that sort of thing. Um, so the scheme is really important, okay? But most people know about the scheme. Most people don't know about the next part, apparently, which is the username and password fields, which you can put in the URL. But, but you were familiar with this, Joel. Yeah, I mean, these are... A username and password is something that I use like all the time if it's like yeah. an open redirect bypass because yeah. usually there's like a starts with or ends with or maybe they're, they're parsing exactly. it incorrectly. I mean, this happens on Android too where um, there's like different bypasses uh, depending on how it's formatted, if there's special characters or... Oh, really? You know, in like a... Yeah, yeah. Like a in in like a deep link scheme or uh yeah i mean just with like the default uri.parse there's um there's a great uh report like self disclosure report or whatever oh, from yeah, Baggy Pro Baggy called, Pro, right? yeah yeah the gold uh, the golden techniques for bypassing url parsing and nice. uh, he talks yeah, a little bit that. about that and there's some very big nuance between like android.net.uri and java.net.uri i i think they're the, the two classes but yeah definitely go check that out we'll put we'll put a link down below yeah, definitely drop that in the doc. We, we want to get that on the on the description. But the next thing that comes in, in a possible URL is the user in pass field, okay? So the user is, um, you can type anything after the colon slash slash, right? So scheme colon slash slash. Then you've got user colon password at. Now, I think that this is sort of like a, or, and when I say add, I mean the add sign, right? So th this is sort of a legacy thing sort of left over, I believe, from when um, they used to specify basic auth this way. So yep. you could actually And actually a lot of stuff still does this. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, so if you go to a website and you get um, a, a realm response, like it, it'll say like realm, uh, what's, what's the specific verbiage? I actually stumbled on one of these. Bearer realm equals or whatever. Yeah. It'll basically pop up a box on your, it, it looks like an alert box no, and it has it a username and a password. Though. Yeah, it, no, it that's uses basic auth, doesn't it? It uses it, it put, creates an authorization header with basic and then it does a, as a base64 encoded username and password in that, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah, but it's equivalent. 
Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is equivalent. Yep. That's true. Um, and and you know, it'd be really cool if you could kind of smuggle these sort of things in there. Um, like for example, can. if you could, if you could like have someone click a link and force the browser to do, you know, author, uh, authorization with Basic. But I believe they it was it's been disabled um, in all modern browsers. But you can fact check me on that while I'm while I'm explaining this next section, Joel, if you would. Um, yeah. So. The, the main reason I want to mention this is this user and pass section is super helpful for uh, bypassing restrictions on a domain, right? Because for, for example, because you can go HTTP colon slash slash google.com, right? And then put the at sign, you know, uh, and, and, it, and it gets parsed differently. Um, you know, at, at test.com, right? And that, that, that URL is going to go to test.com. Right, and you could say, all right, you could just prepend it to a, uh, you know, a, in a subdomain of, of test.com, and sure, you could do that. But there are a lot of scenarios where if it, it treats this user and what the, the URL parsing library will treat this username and password field differently, okay, and 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 then then a subdomain attached to the domain, um, and they sometimes I've even seen them treat the username and password field different from each other, even though that they're um, you know, separate entities uh, or, or same a part of that same prior to the at symbol um, structure that comes in the URL. So very important for us to be aware of the existence of this user and password thing if you're looking to bypass, uh, uh, you know, any sort of open redirect uh, restrictions. Okay, so I've done a little reading. And from what I can tell, uh, I'm on a Stack Overflow post from 2011, uh, of 2012, okay? And... Basically, it starts out, the original the answer heck, says that, yes, you can indeed put username, colon, password at host.com, and it will send those credentials in a standard authorization header. Then, if you look through the comments, people say, oh, this functionality doesn't, doesn't work anymore. And they link to a ticket from 2011 on uh, a Chromium like bug ticket that's like, oh, this doesn't work anymore. Okay, a couple comments down. Oh, actually, this does work. It's just IE where this doesn't work. Oh, this doesn't work. As of 2019, it works in Chrome, doesn't work in Safari. May 2020, doesn't work in Firefox, Chrome, or Safari. November 2022, doesn't work in Chrome, works in, in Curl and Postman. Tw uh, May of this year, works in Chromium. So I don't what? actually <laughs> I don't actually know. Are you kidding me? Um, I can't seem to find a solid answer, and I'm not getting enough info just by requesting it in, well, that it in my in URL. Chrome, right? I mean... You know, maybe it's something that maybe it's like a dev only feature or something. But yeah, I was almost certain that you could put username, colon, password, and it would rewrite the URL to put it in an auth header because that allows you to visit uh, sites that would require realm auth. Like normally, normally you can just rewrite it. Um, yeah, I, I thought I, I was pretty sure this was a thing. So we might have to test this or maybe if somebody from the audience knows yeah, no, or I, wants I tried to test it, it i tried it i tried it in chromium or in not chromium in chrome um and it doesn't work in chrome as far as i can tell uh just from looking at the inspector real quick okay. um would be very interested to know if that was the case because it would be really interesting if you could have someone go to a link off them into the link you know let's say you, you have a um an api right that's doing authorization via via you know that isn't looking to see whether the 
they, well, we're, we're grasping now, I, I think. But it, let's say they're not looking at whether it says authorization uh, bearer or authorization basic, right? And then it just takes the token afterward and parses it. You could actually potentially smuggle that in via the URL if it's a base64 encoded token. Let's say it's like a like a JWT or something like that, right? You might be able yep. to actually smuggle that in there and force the victim to auth as you. And sometimes API requests have like... Um, you know, cookies that they will set on the response, or like uh, maybe you can trigger an XSS if the response is if the response uh, content type is not specified, or whether it's text HTML or something. So there's a lot of exploitation scenarios there that that could be, you know, reached if this wasn't was actually working. Very interesting that it says it's working in Chromium though. Okay, so more info. Mozilla Docs say. Under this is live research here on under HTTP Let's go. authentication, Let's at go. the very, very bottom, it says access using credentials in the URL. Many clients allow you to avoid the login prompt by using an encoded URL containing the username and password like this: username colon password at www.example.com. The use of these URLs is deprecated in Chrome. Yes, the username colon password at part of a URL is even stripped out for security reasons, and they actually link okay. to that same Chrome bug from 2011. Do they really. And it's, uh, it says, in Firefox, it is checked if the site actually requires authentication. And if not, Firefox will warn the user with a prompt saying you're about to log into the site, whatever, with username, whatever. But it doesn't require authentication. They may be trying to trick you. Um, so that's really interesting. I'm going to send you a link to this. And we'll put a link to this in the uh, in the docs or down below on the in the notes as well. But yeah, yeah super interesting. This is, this is really I wonder if it's yeah, Firefox is doing something weird with it. So, but I wonder how that they being check. said, yeah. I don't know about Safari. I don't know about IE slash Edge or any of these other you know Edge browsers. Uh, I say Edge browsers. Uh, all of these these um, browsers that are on the periphery of the of the yeah. you know primary browser scene that yeah. use Chromium and let's, as I a mean, base. Let's not forget, right? Safari and Edge together make up twenty five percent of the browser market. So. It's pretty significant if if you know they're vulnerable to this uh, and they're not following the same standards as Chrome, which yeah. I think historically Edge, they Edge haven't uses been great. Chromium, right? Uh, I think it might now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should, which we then that makes me wonder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, we came here to teach, and look, we are being taught. Um, uh, so, moral of the story there. Definitely some interesting stuff surrounding the username and password field in the URL. Um, one quick tip that I will add here is that um, one of the most common bypasses that I see to domain validation here is when you add something to the URL, right? Uh, you know, add a, a username that contains a backslash, okay? So oftentimes that will be reflected. So you know you'll see something like https colon slash slash test.com backslash colon at you know victim.com, right? Yep. yep. Um, and that backslash will actually break the the at the um, username and and password field there and will be actually rendered by the browser as test.com rather than at example.com. Um, or you know, victim.com or whatever. So that is a very useful escape to sort of find open redirects or uh, you know bypass uh, URL validation uh, in an application. Yeah, it's simply just putting it a backslash in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
very very cool stuff there. Um, next section, everyone knows it's the it's the domain, the subdomain, the domain, that sort of part. And then there's one extra part after that, right, Joel? One one part that isn't always visible, and that is the, the fragment. Part. No, no, Joel, come on, look at the graph, man. Look at the graph. It's the port. The port. The uh, okay. It's the purple part. Okay. Sure. So 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 um <laughs> so so the after the domain, you put a you put a uh, a colon, right? And then you're able to specify a port. We see this all the time. You know, if you're trying to yeah. hit port eighty eighty or whatever, you gotta go to localhost colon eighty eighty to specify the port you're trying to hit. Sometimes when you're trying to bypass um, you know, URL validation, it is also helpful to inject illegal characters here. Because um, you know, even just putting an A or something like that in there, and if it gets passed through, there's some weird stuff that can happen here. So definitely check that out as well. Yeah, another thing that's interesting that we've actually done in security interviews is TLDs. Um, so something common, like uh, a yeah. big mistake that you see all the time is that whoever invented regex came up with the brilliant idea that the dot is a wildcard character. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Love is amazing, that. minus the fact that so much of internet infrastructure uses dots as a separator character. And so this often leads to bad regexes where they put a dot in, but they should have put a backslash dot for a literal dot, not just any character. And this leads to all sorts of different uh, vulnerabilities and things that can pop up as a result of being able to manipulate either the TLD or the or the root domain or the root domain and the TLD or, you know, something to that effect uh, to, to get it to parse incorrectly. Yeah. Yeah. No, especially if you're hacking sites, like, um, you know, for when I lived in Japan, you know, we're looking at some code.jp sites, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever.co.jp, right? You've got an extra dot in there that they don't always escape. And if you can, you know, inject a, a, um, for example, if they, they don't escape the, the dot that comes before co, whatever, whatever, .jp is likely a valid domain, right? Because yes. .jp is also a, uh, a valid domain. Correct. So, um, you know, there's lots of ways that you can kind of tweak that. You also see that for uh, .co.uk. Um, yep. And .us as well. Domains. .us, but there's no .co.us, which is weird. It's it's one yeah. of those, the, like the, the country ones that, like there's .co.uk and .uk and .co.jp and .jp. And I think there's a couple other that are like that, but then the US is just .us. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe we just have dot com. I don't know. Is that a US? You know, is that, that origin origin? Sure. Well, let's like claim a, it, man. It, it's yeah, fuck it, I mean, right? You know, it's ours whatever. now. America. <laughs> it's a peak American mentality. <laughs> I made this? Yeah, I made this. This D- is mine. Dang it, Joel, you're making me cough because you're making me laugh, man. Um, all right. So uh, the port section, definitely try to inject some stuff there. Then we get into the path, the query, and the fragment, which most I think most people know about, right? You got the path, you're breaking down, you know, slash asset, slash JS, you know, whatever, dot JS. And you got the query parameters, right? Question mark, X equals one. And then you've got the fragment, right? The hash. The hash is not ever sent to the server side. So when you're interacting with server side things, sometimes you send the hash and it truncates stuff. It does weird stuff. This is a great a great way to truncate the right side uh, of your injection if you're um, able to do an SSRF vulnerability where something is getting tacked on the end, right? Like a, yep. like a file extension or something like that. Yep. Um, it's basically like a comment in a URL. 
right? Like in the sense that it makes everything after it just not like <laughs> do anything, right? Like, dude, kind of like sequel injection. <laughs> Joel, I love this. I love this way of thinking that you have. It's like this is this is a comment in the URL. Uh, it's, no, dude, it's great. I mean, I never thought about it that way, man. I'm just, I'm just looking at you in awe when you say stuff like that so yeah it's like a comment for the url sure uh and the the um the uh, you know the browser is the only piece that's actually really supposed to be able to access that sort of thing um but if you send a you know a fragment as a part of a, a request so say you send a raw get request weird stuff can happen most of the time it's it's pulled out you know before it even reaches uh before it's processed by the server um yep. so the last thing that I wanted to mention that is not actually present in this diagram that we that we have uh, is this thing called the path parameter. Um, you've seen these before, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Orange did a talk about this at DEF CON a couple of years ago. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the the famous you know dot dot semicolon thing that's that's utilizing this sort of path parameter notation. So um, you know, let's say you've got a path. It's like whatever.com slash test, and you put a semicolon, right? Then you can start adding parameters there. X equals one, you know, and, and those those will, and I believe it's another semicolon delimiter. So semicolon X equals, you know, two or Y equals two. You can start adding parameters there. This is only parsed by some types of um some types of servers uh, in some languages. Uh, because of that, it can cause interoperability uh, problems, right? Which is what we saw with the the, the orange psi dot dot semi semicolon thing. Because yeah. does that get parsed as a a path that is dot dot semicolon, or does that get parsed as dot dot of the path traversal sequence, or a plus an empty you know path parameter string? Yeah. Um, so there's definitely some weird shit that happens there. Um, it's important to know all of these different pieces of the of the URL, I think, so that you can come up with weird attack vectors like Orange did. Yeah, absolutely. And I I love these talks. He's actually given two of them. I, I just mm. realized I was confusing one with the other one, but he's done, mm. he did two talks in 2017 and 2018, both about URL parsing, um, which just shows you the the level that he goes to, which is always awesome to see. Yeah. Um, so we'll link both of those below, but uh, definitely if you haven't seen these or you haven't read them, or if you haven't read it in a while, read it because <laughs> it's uh, it's always good to just revisit that and be like, you know, yeah. this is probably still a thing. Uh, you know, just like we talked about earlier with uh, with Tanner's tip from 2019, like these yeah. things, they uh, they persist. They they don't just uh, disappear because somebody made a, a poster or a talk about it. They uh, really they keep cool surfacing. It's really cool to see people call stuff too. You know, like we 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 recently recorded an episode with Franz, which I think will air after this episode. Um, yep. And you know, he was calling stuff from like, you know, way back there that's still hyper relevant, and 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 I would say is still you know some of the some of the peak parts of the industry. Um, yep. And so yeah, definitely pay attention to these to these people that are that are you know dropping some research. This is why I have a tips folder. See, this is this is the uh, great the tips folder the the notes.txt the you know cat everything in the notes.txt exactly thing. the yeah. ten year long notes.txt yeah. exactly exactly all right um, so cool yeah the last thing I, I really had on this list here was like uh, you know I was going to ask you actually uh, about how this looks for 
for Android and stuff like that, specifically in the in the context of OAuth related stuff. Have you have you ever looked at like OAuth flows that use a specific client ID? You know that that client ID is associated with the app, right? You know, so that it, it's redirecting the redirect URI is configured to be the app, and then there being some sort of regex related issues or um, domain related issues with that. Um, so, uh, I'm sure it exists. I'm trying to think of a specific example with like OAuth, but generally speaking, yeah, all the time you see like URL parsing problems, which circles me back to the baggy pro, um, blog posts about, uh, host validation parsing on Android and the different bypasses and the different pitfalls and gotchas and whatever is uh, related to that. Just even if you're using the wrong class to parse it, um, yeah, you, know, you you can have pitfalls there, so that that stuff definitely exists for sure. Especially with regex, um, I can even think of personal bugs that I found that have been like yeah. you know they did dot ends with or whatever instead of you know they forgot a dot at the beginning um, or something. Uh, but yeah, the Android oftentimes it is very similar to what you described, where you'll log in and it'll redirect you to a URI schema that will then you know send the code back. It'll just launch the app directly yeah. and it'll get the code through some OAuth handler. Um, that can be a lot harder to exploit because typically it's the code flow where the auth code flow where basically you're just you log in and then it generates a code for you and that just gets sent directly back to the app and it just you know makes a claim and gets your auth token exchange for an auth token um so there's a lot less room for error in a setup like that but that doesn't mean that you can't exploit it or use it for your own purposes i think it would be really case by case i was kind of i was kind of thinking like you know, it would be kind of interesting if, well, I don't know, because then you wouldn't have a scheme, and I guess it would kind of get parsed as a, as a relative URL probably. But I, I was thinking it'd be interesting if there was a an app that said, okay, uh, we're just gonna allow it to redirect to test app colon right? That's like the custom scheme that they've registered in the app, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that was the whole regex was test app colon, right? Yep. And, and then you know you could actually do test app colon, and then, you know, the password at test.com, right? That use, utilizing that username and password, you know, there's some synergies there, um, that, that piece in the URL. Um, and then, you know, maybe get it redirected to your domain instead of to uh, the actual Android app. But I imagine if it has to start with the actual character, I believe that the browser would probably try to treat that as a relative URL if there's no uh, if there's no HTTP or recognized scheme in the beginning. So I'm not yeah. sure that there's much synergy that's possible there. Yeah. Now that being said, like the way that they get registered on Android is it's within the Android manifest. So you say like everything under this scheme potentially with this host and this port and this path or whatever should all go to my app. But you can also do that for HTTP and HTTPS. So you can register like a specific HTTP or HTTPS URL and host and say, I want this URL to be openable in my app and it should do something. You can, but you can do what you said. Like I could make just a scheme with no host or like anything after it be loaded in my app. And then those are the cases where you're going to look and see, are they parsing it correctly? Because it steps yeah. beyond the system into the app, and then there's chance that they're they're handling something incorrectly. I, I imagine that the um, that the uh, that the colon character is not a valid character for you to have in your registered schemes, right? 
Yeah, not direct. I mean, maybe it is. I I don't know specifically what it. We'd have to look at the spec on that. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to look at the spec. Because like like here's what I'm thinking, right? You got like test app colon. That's what the OAuth um, redirect dry configuration is is set to. So what if you and then it takes anything after that? So you do you know test app colon one two three you know without putting a slash a slash in there, right? It would be interesting if you could do um, test app. You could register an app called test app colon you know, hacked colon slash slash, right? You know, that, that would be mm. your scheme. And then, um, you know, then you could hijack that OAuth code coming into your malicious app. But I, I, I kind of highly doubt that Android's going to allow a, a, a colon into the, into the actual name of the scheme. Yeah, it's one of those things where even testing it is very difficult because there's probably multiple layers where it's being checked. Um, like I, a couple live hacking events ago, I was yeah. looking at an Android app. Um, and we were trying to, well, it was actually a, a service that took Android app, like APK files, and then would like parse mm. them and handle them. And so we thought, oh, why don't we just like put an XXE in the Android sure. manifest? And then when it pulls the app name out, it'll, you know, pop the XXE on the server side. Well, yeah. the problem is that Android manifests are written in this Android XML, which is like a binary version of XML, and it's like oh, custom it's like, uh, encoded uh, down. Like an, and so, in, do you know if it's inflated or deflated XML? Is that what it is? It's it's not like a it's, it's called a it's it's AXML yeah oh, wow. for Android okay, and so it like has like a specific subset of things that it supports and all this kind of stuff and so we we were doing a bunch of testing and all we ended up getting XXE on, on was like all of the local tooling that we were using like to try <laughs> and compile like or decompile the APK like I would get like an XXE in like it, it would, oh it would gosh, never be like dude, exactly where I wanted it to because all of the tooling and stuff that would be used to like expand it or resign it or whatever was getting vulnerable instead of the actual XML that would Dude, then if, get parsed. If, and yeah. It, yeah, I'm not sure if you were using, you know, the name of that tool that we might have to bleep as a, as a filler. But uh, if you actually do have that, you might report that to like, you know, internet project or something like that. Cause who knows that that That's could cause true. problems. That's true. I actually, I do wonder Critical, critical, critical thinking, man. It might be a zero day. <laughs> we might have to cut that out. <laughs> yep. Well, we might have to bleep that. But uh, yeah, no, uh, I think I think there's some, going back to the OAuth flow, you know, with the defined uh, redirect URIs, I think there is some wiggle room there. Um, but it, you'd have to have a really weird configuration. For example, if, if a, um, you know, if a uh, identity provider was, setting the redirect URI to have to include, you know, the first part of it has to be test app, right? Or whatever the name of their scheme is. And it doesn't have a colon afterwards. Right. Then you could register a handler called test app hacked colon slash slash, right? Register that own scheme in your malicious app and then redirect to that, which would which would give you access to that that code that you need to to take over the account. So you could still you could still trigger some some OAuth um, issues there uh, via redirect on mobile as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, man. Whew. Uh, let's see let's see what else we got uh, on the list. Okay, so like I said, this one's all over the place, but um, that kind of covers the the URL parsing stuff that I wanted to talk about. Um, I just also wanted to t talk about some other concepts that have kind of been banging around in my head from the live hacking events that we've been to over the past couple months. Yep. Um, and you know, there's just been lots of good discussions with hackers. And and one of the ones that that came into my my brain was this concept of shared secrets across environments. You know, um, and 
specifically JWT related things. Um, if you have a, a, a JWT signing secrets that's shared across multiple environments and you're giving people, you're allowing people to register on one environment with an email, and then you can use that same token because it passes validation on a different app, you know? And I have they no idea what you're email. talking about right now. I've never seen that what? exact, I've never seen that exact bug, uh, on a, Oh, really? Oh, maybe you do. Well, the, the, I was talking to someone specific about this sort of bug, um, you know, at, at, at a live hacking event. But yeah, as, essentially the bug was that, you know, there was a stage environment you could sign up for. You'd get a JWT. You could use that same JWT on the prod environment. Um, so let's say you've got an account registered, you know, joel at joel.com, right? I could go to the staging environment, register joel.joel.com. You know, if there's not email, I am being sarcastic there. right now because there was, a, I, I don't know if you're like playing in on this, but yes, there was a, this exact same thing on, it wasn't staging, but it was just that you could like log into certain apps and then any app within that same, like they use the same auth mechanism, like middleware or yeah. whatever across all of their things. Yeah. You see it, you know, you see it at, 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 at on various targets. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I mean, what was that sarcasm was that like are you, are you saying because it exists because that was almost the exact bug that i was just talking about as well with stuff it was the same target and it oh, was really? utilizing that bug yeah. oh what the heck i did not hear about this this oh, is didn't? crazy okay no, okay i didn't yeah oh, yeah wow. yeah so there was okay, an so off bypass actually... to get into one of these tools yeah this is more prevalent than expected, I think, because this is this is you know multiple live hacking events over the past year that that has had you know this issue pop up on a hardened target like a live hacking event target. So definitely something we see and was was sort of on my radar because we talked about Cookie Monster in the past, right? That uses sort of um, you know that kind of has a similar situation where it's like okay, you know maybe you can forge this JWT, but right. reuse of that JWT wasn't really on my radar until this past year quite as much. Yeah, and honestly, like from a from an engineering perspective, I totally see why it's happening because there's more and more push to centralize all these sorts of auth mechanisms into one place and have like a single single mechanism that's doing all the authentication in a standardized way, which means that you have more risk for somebody to be able to issue an auth token that's just valid unless yeah. that single central auth mechanism is really, really strictly properly checking, like, where did this come from? Is it yeah. specifically authorized for this other application that they're trying to use it on? More than is it valid and is it, like, validly signed and all that kind of stuff? Because all that stuff could be true, but it could be for some other service and it could still pass. It's actually similar to the uh, to the thing we were just talking about, uh, you know, before when when you're reusing tokens across different different providers too, right? Like the the Facebook thing, where yep. where they're not checking the app ID associated with it, right? Um, yeah, totally. Because it's actually a token for a different provider, but you know, it kind of all checks out. So uh, there, there's there's definitely reoccurring themes that we see across these authentication bugs, which the more and more you familiarize yourself with them. You'll you'll start looking for those uh, attack vectors, which uh, that's been yeah. kind of a way I've I've grown as a hacker in, uh, over the past couple of years is like um, authentication related bugs can be really scary, and sometimes I feel like I'm forced down that route because the other scope is so shit. You know, it's like I right, yeah. might as well just look at auth, and then when you do, some crazy bugs can come out of that. So yeah. And it's weird because like I almost never look at auth a lot of the time because yeah, it's such, such a, a weird. Yeah. It's such a weird flow and you can end up sinking a lot of time there. Yeah. And it's like a lot of times 
it's like a weird setup stage where there's very like limited restricted amount of data and the program even if you submit it they'll be like oh well this is just during the registration flow so unless the impact is like elsewhere within the application oftentimes it doesn't even like really count or it's not a high enough impact um but yeah like you said I, when you get backed into those corners where where it's a tight scope i mean we just saw at the last event lots yeah. of uh, off stuff that was yeah. just like you know yeah. small it's scope true. where do you look but you know you you also look at the at the hackers that pop crits on a regular basis right you look at samurb you look at oxacb you look at some of these guys that make a habit of looking at auth every single time <laughs> they they always pop stuff man they, they somehow manage yeah. <laughs> and, yeah and so um yeah that's something that i've sort of resolved to look into a little bit more um and and on that you know on that note uh, i i was going to talk a little bit about um one of the uh, sort of successes I've had in this arena, which is um, uh, finding, uh, or I guess looking at auth, which is multi-factor authentication bypasses. And there's lots of like, you know, super crappy multi-factor authentication bypasses where you can like just navigate to the page or like, you know, there's some, 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 um, you know, other tricks you can do. But one of the things that I kind of wanted to highlight is like, Especially when you've got a flow where there's multiple, you know, uh, multi-factor devices. Like, hey, you know, do I want to send a text message to the phone, or do I want to get an email, or do I want to get a push? You know, Th these systems get really complex, and these ob objects, these um, devices, they're just objects in the application, and they're vulnerable to stuff like IDOR, just like every other object in the in the application could be, right? So, yep. um, you know, I remember taking a deep dive at a target one time, and and kind of. Um, looking at this flow and finding an IDOR in the multi-factor authentication flow, which just allowed me to use an attacker-controlled device wow. to authenticate into the victim's account. And, and you could use that to get account takeover via the password reset flow. And it was like, I can't believe that this actually worked. So yeah. you, you th you'd think that I would I would learn my lesson after that, things. you know, <laughs> to like keep actually look at authentication more often. But, you know, sometimes it just doesn't sink in. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you didn't even say the word rate limiting. I'm so proud of you. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> rate limiting. Yeah, I said dumb multi-factor bypasses, like just navigating to the thing. Anyway. I was waiting yeah. for you to say rate limiting because that's like the that's yeah. like the go-to MFA bypass, which is that you can yeah. brute force OTP codes. It's screwed so many companies, too, if you can figure yeah. out a way to, to you know. Yeah, definitely. Facebook pays down. a lot of money for that. Yeah. Yeah, they've paid multiple mid to high five figure crits i believe yes. for that yes. that bug that specifically yep ridiculous yeah all right man um let's see what else we got here uh the only other la the last thing that i wanted to go was um also related to auth stuff and it and it's <laughs> what else could it be on the on the only other thing that uh you know is left in the auth mechanism which is uh you know social media logins kind of like we were talking about before um you know if you're able to find you know, some weird provider that you don't Such see on a regular login basis. With yeah, yeah. Or, or, no or maybe well, login. You, you shouldn't say that. We're going to have to bleep that. Um, <laughs> you know, login with some weird provider, right? Let's just say. Um, it, it's always helpful to make sure that those emails are associated with, um, you know, that that email is being validated. If you can get an account and auth into a, a certain, you know, service provider, via the identity provider with an account that doesn't have a valid email, that is a huge problem and can often result in account takeover. So keep these keep these things in your head as you're hacking. Um, 
it, it can result in sort of crazy yeah. bugs. Yeah. yeah, the more login mechanisms, the more chaos there is. That that's what I've learned. The more room for error because everybody does it a little bit differently. And yeah, yeah for sure. All right, Joel. Do you want? You know, it's already turning into a, a good a good length episode. You want to talk about this report? Or you want to push it to the next time? Uh, yeah, I'll make that your call. All right, uh, my voice is dying. Let's 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 call it a wrap. All right, all right. We'll have some good bugs to talk about next time. All right, sounds good. Peace, everybody. Right. Peace.